I want to talk about the freedom to change. That through faith in Jesus Christ, we have the freedom and the power to see concrete changes in our life. So we're going to read a chapter in Romans today, and we're going to read the whole chapter. So stay with me. And Romans is kind of probably one of the more difficult books in the New Testament to read uh, just because of cultural context, and it's not about, a lot about the law, but stay with me as we read through this together, because we're going to see what Paul says about changes that we can have through faith in Jesus. So let's read this together. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin." Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to Christ alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law but under grace." What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that, though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness." I am using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used, used to offer yourself as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourself as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. All right. So let's take a look at this. Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8 describe how faith leads to concrete changes in our life. Now, we don't have time to go over 7 and 8 too, but I encourage you this week to read it in your devotions. And the first chapter, the first five chapters in Romans describe the gospel, okay? And all through those chapters, you'll see the gospel described as salvation is received, not achieved, right? That is the foundation of the Christian faith. But when you discover this, the question that arises, that, that, that's a logical next step, is this. If salvation is by grace and nothing I do 
can achieve or earn salvation because it's not by my works, then why should we change at all, right? What's the point? Why not live however you want if Jesus paid the price and all I have to do is say, God, forgive me, I accept what you did, and you're saved, then why do we have to change? What's, what's the point? So we're going to look through this chapter 6, and I believe that Paul is going to answer that question for us today by going over these three things, and we're going to go through it together. Okay, so let's get started. Number one, recognize your spiritual slavery. What we read there in verse 15, what then? Shall, shall we sin because we are not under the law but by grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourself to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. So before we go on with this, I just want to say this this chapter, and this verse specifically right here, is very shocking for us to read, right? Because we're like, offer yourself as a slave. Slavery is so bad. Slavery is so awful. What is the Bible saying? But when you read the Bible, when I read the Bible, we are reading it through our cultural context, right? The world we live in, the time we live in. So this statement was not shocking to the first century readers because the slavery he's talking about here is called bond service. Now we think of slavery and we think of race-based and we think for life, right? We're thinking of the new world slavery that we witnessed and our ancestors were a part of. But that's not what's happening here, what he's referring to. In the first century, if you had a huge debt that you were saddled with, a debt that it would take you years and years and years, if not your lifetime, to pay off. You could essentially sell that debt, sell yourself to someone who could pay for it, and then you would work for them. You would work off that debt for however long that period was described. So maybe for five years, maybe for 10 years, but you basically became, you sold yourself as a slave, a bond servant to them, so that you did not have that debt hanging over your head the rest of your life, and you had work guaranteed. So Paul is using this example that was very familiar to them, because one-third of Romans were bondservants, a third of the population, which is kind of wild to think about. So he's using this example that's very um, common to them, and he's saying, so although you're getting rid of the debt, don't you realize that now you're a slave to that person? But Paul takes this step further to connect it in the spiritual realm, and that part was news to them, as it's news to us as well, where he's saying, don't you realize that there are only two types of people in the world? People who are in total, unconditional service to Christ, or people who are slaves to some other God? There's no third category. You're either a slave, you're either committed, sold out 100% to doing God's will, or something else is your spiritual master. And that's true for us. So how can that be? I'm not a slave to something, but we are. Everyone lives for something. Everyone has something that gives them significance. It's human nature that we want to live for a purpose. Something makes us feel valued, something makes us feel loved, and with a purpose. And that thing, whatever it is that you have made that gives you significance, you become a slave to that thing, a spiritual slave. I'll explain it like this. Well, let's look at this verse. Here in verse 12, it says, do, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lust. Do not let sin reign. Don't let it control you. Don't be a slave to it. Now, 
This is the King James Version right here. The problem is with the word lust, we in our culture, for whatever reason, when we hear the word lust, we associate it to be something sexual, right? Which lust doesn't just mean a desire for sexual things. You can have a lust for power, you can have a lust for wealth, but it's hard for us to get the word lust out of our minds to thinking it's just something sexual. But the word here that's used, the Greek word, actually means a desire, an eagerness for, inordinate desire, excessive desire. So it's not saying that the lust, you're, sending, you're wanting something bad, it's saying even good things. An excessive desire for good things will reign over you and you'll be a slave to it. So that could be something different for each of us. Your job, your family, a, a political cause. What is, what is it that gives you purpose, that gives you meaning, that makes you feel like you have value? Paul is saying, you've offered yourself over to that thing, and that thing will be your master. You think that you're free. You think that that thing is doing something for you, and it is doing something by giving you significance, but you're going to be a slave to that thing if you're not obedient to Christ. So let's give, let me give you some examples to consider this so you can think, like, I still don't know if I'm buying what you're saying. Let's take some emotions. You've got anger. Let's think about anger. If something blocks you from getting a good thing that you wanted, a job, whatever, something blocks you from getting something good, you get angry, right? But if something blocks you from getting an ultimate thing, something that's good, but you've made it ultimate in your life, you get epi angry. You get explosive angry. You blow up. You think, why did I say that? I don't even know why I said that. You can't handle it. Because it's something blocking you from getting something ultimate. Think about fear. If something good in your life is threatened, you worry, right? Your health, what if I lose my job, my kid's health? That's natural human nature, that we worry if something good is threatened. But if something ultimate is threatened, you're a wreck. You can't control your anxiety. You can't sleep. You're a mess. Because that thing has you as a slave, that thing that you have made your master, that's not a bad thing. It might not be a bad thing, but it becomes your master and you're controlled by it. Sadness. If you lose something good, you're sad, right? We grieve. The loss of a life, the loss of a job, the loss of opportunity, the loss of a dream, right? That's normal. You grieve. It may take months to get over that loss. But if you lose something ultimate, you want to jump off a bridge. Life has no meaning anymore because you've lost something that was bringing you meaning. So Paul's saying you're a slave to it. You think that you're free, but you're not free. You've offered yourself over to these things that could be good, but now they're enslaving you. So when you, so when you ask that question, like, why not just live however we want, right? It doesn't matter. Paul's saying here, you're fatally naive to the condition of the human heart. If you think you can just live however you want, you don't know that our heart constructs idols and will cause something to be our master. We will be a slave to something if it's not to Christ. Let's keep moving forward. Number two, realize your unity with God. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we, may, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. So first of all, who's Paul talking about here? 
he says the baptized, right? So that's everyone, because I don't want anyone to think what I'm about to say next only applies to a certain few. So, so Paul is talking about those who are baptized, so all Christians, anyone who's, who's given their life to Christ. So this word united here, the Greek word, actually means grown together and planted. It's a horticultural word, okay? So it means to be grafted in to the root. Now there's other scriptures that talk about being grafted into the branch and the vine, but this verse specifically is saying that we have been grafted into the root of the life of Jesus Christ. So the metaphor is that we are totally united with Christ in his past and totally united with Christ in his future. What does that mean? What in the world does that mean, to be united with Christ? Let's look at the past first. United with a death like his. What could that mean? Okay, think. If someone has gained a lot of wealth, right? They worked hard, they've gained wealth, they're very wealthy, they have a lot of things, and they earned it by their hard work, their good decisions, all of that, okay. And then they get married, right? That spouse comes in to all that wealth, and now it is theirs, how did they earn that wealth? Through legal union, right? By grace. <laughs> they didn't do anything to earn that wealth. The other person did all of that, but through legal union, through marriage, they inherit all of that riches. And it's the same for us with Christ. So when we read scriptures and we see that it says that Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father in the place of honor, and the Father's heart, when he looks at his son, just explodes with joy, and he dotes on his son, and he loves his son. It is saying that when Christ looks, when the Father looks at us, he sees everything that his son did. The righteousness, the glory, the honor, everything that Christ, uh, Jesus Christ accomplished in his life is now legally true of me and legally true of you. Wow. Wow. And so when you struggle, if you struggle with condemnation of my past or my old identity, you are rooted in, you are grafted into the root, to the past of Jesus Christ. And the Father dotes on you and looks at you and sees you just like he sees his son, with all the glory and all the honor and all the righteousness. And so we see also that it says we're united. Certainly we'll be united with him in his resurrection, in his future. What does that mean? I want you to think about this. One day, as Christians, we believe that all of time is funneling into one moment, and there will be a time when time literally ends right? And we enter into eternity. And Christ is going to return. It says he's going to make a new heaven and a new earth for us to live. And when he does that, it says that all sadness will be gone, all sin, no tears, no pain. Okay, now think about this. Maybe it's my administrative side that when I start to think about that, I'm like, how, God, how are you going to do that? How are you going to make, how are you going to cause all striving to cease? As an administrator, I mean, it's like it's making me sweat just to think about that. What a nightmare. Just to try to get teams to work together, the band, to work with sound, to work with kids' church. It's like impossible, right? So administratively, I think about that, and I'm like, the entire universe, every person who, who believes in Christ, we're going to come together, and he's going to make all things new. That power, that future transcendent order is alive in you now. It comes to work in you now. 
That's what the scriptures are saying. We're united in his past, and we are united with him in his future. And so when we struggle with our old nature, and we struggle with sin, and we think, I can never change, I can't keep increasing, you don't know your unity with Christ. You are united to his past and to his future. And that transcendent order, that power that I can't even fathom that will exist in the future to make all things right is alive in me now. Amen? So when we go back to that question, why, do we, why live however we want? Why not just do whatever because it's by grace? Paul is saying here, you don't get it. You don't get what's happened to you. You didn't get a get out of jail free card. You just didn't get a pardon from the queen. You are united with Christ in union with him. And that is so transformative that we miss it. We're we're missing it. All right, let's read this quote by C.S. Lewis. When we, we all do this. When we come to Christ, we come to Christ with such small ambitions, right? We come because we want some inner peace, a little reorientation, feel less guilt, help to get maybe free from some addictions, we want peace in our families, and we come with these small ambitions when we first come to Christ. But you have no idea what he desires to see happen in you. The freedom he wants to see you walking in. Let's read this together. Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps you can understand what he is doing. He is getting the drains right, stopping the leaks in the roof, and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you were not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace. He intends to come live, which he intends to come and live in himself. When people get saved or first start their life with Christ, a common question, and it can even be something that stops you from wanting to make that commitment, a question is like, what am I going to have to give up? Am I going to give up that TV show? Am I going to have to stop doing this? Am I going to have to stop? And we just have all these questions of like, what am I going to have to change? Because I really don't want to have to change a whole. Anticipate that you will not be able to anticipate the magnitude of changes that are coming. And when they come, you will be so grateful for because we don't even know, and when we first give our lives to Christ, we, we don't even know the change that we need and what God wants to do in us. Last one, respond daily out of your new identity. Verse six, for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. So we see here that our old identity is done. It's done away with. That person you were before Christ, it's dealt with. And that through your new identity, through your actions, through your decisions, you have the ability to break the reign of your old spiritual masters. Amen. We can do that. Christ has given us that authority and power. Verse 11. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to Christ. So it doesn't just happen automatically. 
It's not like, well, I got saved, so now my flesh isn't going to want any of the things it used to want, right? I'm not going to be attracted to people I don't want to be attracted to. I'm not going to want to overdrink. I'm not going to, whatever. It doesn't mean that. We still are wrapped in flesh, right? Our flesh is still going to call out to those things. But we have to count ourselves as dead. Count ourselves. That old identity is gone. It's done away with. We don't lack any resources that we need. As a Christian, Christ has provided every resource for us. But we forget that we have a new identity. We forget that we can say to that old nature, no, I'm not a slave to that anymore. I'm not going to be ruled by that. St. Augustine, a theologian, and many of you are probably familiar with, if you've read any of his works, you wrote many books, but if you know anything about his history, he, before he was saved, he had quite the sexual past. He would go on benders of week-longs, disappear with women, slept with lots of women. So he had quite the sexual past. So the account goes that after he was saved, he was walking down the street one day, and one of his old mistresses saw him. And she said, oh, Augustine, hey. And he just said, hey, how's it going, and kept walking. So then she thought, like, okay, he must not have known who I was. He must not have recognized me. So she called out. She said, Augustine, it is I. And he said, yes, I know, but it is not I. It's not me. That's not me anymore. And that's exactly where we are at in our faith. When our flesh calls out to us, when the sin that used to reign in our bodies is calling to us, we say, it is not I. That's not me anymore. That's not me. That nature is dead. I'm no longer a slave to that old master, but I'm walking in the freedom that Christ paid for me. We have a real status change. A real, you are connected with Christ. He has, he has provided everything we need to change. And what can trip us up something I've been thinking about a lot this past month, is that we leave so many doors open. We leave so many open doors to our old life, to our old nature, because we fight, right? We fight having to give up things we might need to give up or stop doing or start doing certain things. And and then you can get into this like battle of like, you're just being legalistic. Well, you're desensitized. We have a new nature. And the more you leave doors open, things that reinforce your old nature, whether that's shows, music, people, attitudes, if you continue to feed that old nature and leave those doors open, you're going to be so disheartened because you're going to think, I haven't changed. You know, it's been how many years of being a Christian? I'm still struggling with this thing. We have to be vigilant to close those doors. Because sin, it says, is always crouching, ready to bust that door open, to grab onto that old nature. All right, let's stand. We're going to close in prayer, and I'll have the band come up. I want to take a moment to just do a prayer of salvation. Because if you're here today, and you've never given your life to Christ, or you want to do a recommitment, I want to take the opportunity to do that. And there's something, there's a lie that still exists in us that started in the garden. And the serpent, which was the enemy, went to Adam and Eve in the garden. And he said, if you offer yourself fully to God, he will abuse you. That's what the enemy said. 
He said, oh, you know, he's holding back from you. He's, he wasn't telling the whole truth. If you eat that apple, you'll certainly be like him. But what he was saying is, if you offer yourself fully to God, he will take advantage of you. He'll abuse you. And that lie still exists today in our minds. And so when you consider giving your life to Christ or consider just giving up something that you know, like, I know that this reminds me of my old nature. I know this feeds my old nature. But there's that lie in us that thinks, but if I give myself fully to God, I'll lose myself. He'll make me do something I don't want to do. But that's not true. He's a good God. And you may not know that yet. But I want to encourage you that something is your master right now. And it might be more, uh, it might be less scary to have a master that you can kind of control, you know. Because if work's my master or being useful or pleasing people, well, you can somewhat control that so it's a little less scary. But you're a slave to that thing. I'm going to encourage you to give your life to Christ. Recommit your life to Christ. Or give up that thing you're a Christian, but you're just like, I I can't let this thing go, because who will I be without this thing? Don't be afraid of that. Don't give in to the lie of the serpent. God won't abuse you. He is a good father. And I would encourage you to give your life fully to him, to not be afraid of changes that might come. You'll be so grateful for them when they do. So Lord, so let's just raise our hands. Let's say it together. It's a prayer of salvation. And if this is your first time, it doesn't matter the words I'm saying. It doesn't have to come to me, uh, come from me. It matters what you say to God. But let's repeat together. Lord, I want you to be my master. I repent for allowing other things to control me. I don't want to lay awake at night worried and fearful and angry controlled by everything that I've let rule my life. I ask you to come into my heart and forgive me of my sins. And I want to spend my life serving you. Thank you, God. And for everyone else, Lord, we ask, we ask that you would help us live in our new nature, that we would see our unity with you that we are united to your past. We're united to your future. And that power, that that power that's gonna make everything right in the universe, we want that to be alive in us today. Today, God, to help us continue to grow and change. We thank you for the freedom that you have brought us. That we live in freedom, not a slave to our old life, not condemned for the mistakes we've made. But you give us freedom and you look at us and your heart explodes with pride and love. Thank you, God. Thank you. We just say to our old nature, it is not I. It's not me anymore. I've changed. I'm changing. I have a new nature in Christ. In Jesus' name.